0: True Crime South Africa is published in conjunction with Arena Holdings, publishers of Times Live, Business Live, Sowetan Live, and others. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of Arena Holdings and its affiliates. The following episode may contain sensitive material, including descriptions of violence, sexual assault, or graphic descriptions of injuries to victims. If you feel you may be triggered by such material, Please consider this before accessing our content. To access trauma counseling or services, please see the helpline information on our show notes. Welcome to True Crime South Africa. I'm your host, Nicole Engelbrecht, and you're listening to A Spotlight Minisode. I use the fortnightly minisodes to either discuss cases that are in the media at the time or pertinent true crime issues that don't always fit into case episodes. This week, I wanted to use this episode to discuss a few missing person cases. There are a huge number of missing person cases in South Africa at any given time, and there's not always enough information available to do a full case episode on each. So I thought that occasionally I could use the mini minisodes to discuss a few of the cases at once. Each of the cases is a human being, after all, someone's family member, and they deserve to have someone talking about them, whether or not there's a large amount of information available about their disappearance. Before I get into the cases that I want to discuss today, I'd like to thank our new Patreon members, Janice Vandenberg and Jocelyn Broughton. Ladies, thank you so much for your support. It is hugely appreciated. If you'd like to support the show on Patreon or PayPal, I'll leave a link in the show notes. As always, any form of support is appreciated, and it doesn't have to be financial. Inviting your friends and family to listen, sharing of episodes, and interacting on social media are all very good ways to help the show to keep growing and improving. So the idea for this episode was born when I was looking for unsolved cases to cover and I came across a section on the SAPS website that I didn't know existed. The SAPS actually has a database on their website with all of the open missing persons cases in South Africa listed. Each case has a photograph, the person's name, the date they were last seen and an age range into which the person fits, along with a few other pieces of information. I don't know how often it's updated, but the two missing person cases that I've covered on this podcast, Amahle Tibete and Marie Ostbo, are on there. You can filter the database by either listing all of the cases, which I must say is quite an intimidating list, or there's a search function, where you can search by age range, name, hair colour, eye colour, build, gender, weight, height, image number and circulation number. It's actually really impressive. And I say that because we all know the amount of work that the SAPS is dealing with. And I think that this is a really awesome development and resource. So how can this database be used? Well, I think probably one of the most significant ways is for organisations who work with homeless and indigent people. It's not uncommon for people who are struggling with severe mental illness or other life challenges to be reported missing as they lose contact with their families and often end up on the street. This sort of database could be used to help these people to find their way back to their families, or at the very least, let their families know that they are safe. The same can be done if someone ends up in hospital and has no memory or is unable to communicate. Of course, both of those depend on the person having been reported missing in the first place, but it certainly is a step in the right direction. Perhaps one of the most important ways that this can be used is in the case of missing children or adults who've been trafficked. If you, as a member of the public, suddenly see that someone has a child that they didn't have before and you suspect that the child may have been kidnapped or trafficked, you could check this database to see if they're listed as a missing person. To be clear, The fact that they don't appear on the database does not mean that your suspicions are incorrect and you should always report suspicions like this to the police. But I think that it's a phenomenal tool that can only help to solve the huge number of missing person cases that we have in this country. And that's the thing that drives me insane about missing person cases. How does a human being just disappear into thin air? Despite enormous efforts in some of these cases, the person is just gone. Where? How? If it drives me insane, I can't imagine what it must do to the family. Just never knowing. I don't doubt that in most cases, it must be worse than knowing that the person is deceased. Especially if it's a child or an endangered adult. You just never know if they're safe, being harmed daily, being held against their will, or if they're in fact deceased. So what are some of the possibilities when it comes to how a person actually goes missing? Many missing person cases actually resolve themselves within a relatively short period of time and end with the person returning safely or being located either alive in hospital or some other facility or even prison, or sadly deceased, either by means of murder, accident or natural causes. But what about cases that do not resolve within a short period of time? Where do people go when they go missing? Where adults are concerned, there's always a possibility that the person has disappeared of their own accord. They could be fleeing from the law, or an abusive spouse. Or there's always the assumption that maybe they just wanted to start a new life somewhere else. The odds of the latter happening, in my opinion, are quite slim, especially in the digital age we live in. Also, even if the person is hiding from their family, there has to be someone that they'd stay in touch with from their previous life, should. Of course, if they don't, and they're really intent on starting again, and they go far enough, I guess it really depends on how hard someone's looking for you. Human trafficking is a major problem globally, but it's extremely prevalent in Africa and South Africa. There are many reasons that a person could be trafficked. Among them are forced sex work, forced labour, in some countries, children are used as soldiers. And probably one of the lesser known reasons is organ trafficking. We saw the latter being a possibility in the disappearance of two South Africans in Vietnam last year. Human trafficking is big business, and it involves a very similar set of circumstances to domestic abuse, in that the victim is almost completely stripped. Of their capability to make decisions and act to save themselves. They will have no financial resources. They may be given drugs to get them addicted or they may simply be threatened with their lives if they try to flee. In South Africa these people may be taken to different provinces or even out of the country. With younger women, there's often what researchers call the lover boy technique, where usually a slightly older man will form a relationship with a girl and eventually convince her to run away with him. She leaves of her own free will, thinking that she is heading off to enjoy a life with her boyfriend, but the man will eventually become her pimp. I cannot tell you how many of the cases I looked at on the SAPS website that had a note that the young girl was last known to be with her older boyfriend. Children that go missing are a very different kettle of fish to adults, as they cannot disappear of their own free will. Yes, children can and sometimes do run away, as teenagers predominantly, but the law doesn't give them agency to make that decision until they're 18 years old, so they always need to be located Kidnapping or abduction by strangers is actually very rare, thankfully. But in some cases, where all other possibilities have been exhausted, this seems to be the only likely scenario. Even in this case, there are many reasons why a child may be taken by a stranger. If the kidnapper intends to sexually assault or murder the child, this will usually be done quite soon after the kidnapping. And the child's remains are often located within a short space of time. There have been quite a few cases in the United States where children have been held for years, even decades, by their captors, and eventually they're able to escape or they're identified. I'm not aware of any such cases in South Africa, but there was recently a girl from Tsikane who went missing about three years ago, when she was 12, and she was found alive just a few months ago. No details have been released about the circumstances surrounding her disappearance, so it's difficult to know whether she was being held somewhere against her will. The abduction of very small babies or toddlers is often for the purposes of integrating them into the kidnapper's own family as we recently saw with the Zephany Nurse case, where she was taken from the maternity ward more than 20 years ago by her kidnapper and raised as part of the woman's family. The problem we have with unidentified bodies in this country is also enormous, and I cannot help but think that many people who appear on that SAPS database are very likely deceased and buried in municipal graves. Johannesburg mortuaries alone see 1,000 unidentified bodies per year. A study was recently conducted which retrospectively looked at all of the bodies that went through Salt River Mortuary in Cape Town between 2010 and 2017 in order to determine exactly how many remained unidentified. Researchers would put that number at 2,476. That's 250 unidentified people a year at one single mortuary in South Africa. Researchers concluded that one of the best ways to reduce this number would be to start taking DNA from these bodies before burial. This is done in some cases, but not all. The research team also stated in their paper that they felt more could be done in terms of investigation to try and determine the identity of these people. In some provinces, teams of forensic medicine students run their own identification projects. In Johannesburg, a team from Wits University has a 40% identification success rate of previously unidentified bodies simply by taking the time to analyse the bodies, the DNA, the clothing, and the items found on the person at the time of death. But these are not government-funded projects, and once these students complete their studies and become permanently employed in forensic medicine, they will not have the time to conduct this research. If projects like this could be expanded upon And crowdsourced with volunteers, we may be able to cut down on both the number of unidentified bodies as well as the number of missing person cases. In considering how I wanted to present these cases to you, I had to figure out how I was going to pick which cases to talk about. Considering the list is so enormous, I figured the best place to start was, very simply, at the top of the list. So I clicked the list all missing persons button and started at the top. Keep in mind that I'm not 100% sure how often cases are removed if they're resolved. So although I've done my best through research to qualify whether these people are indeed still missing, some of them may have been resolved. The very first case on the list is sadly that of a missing baby and it's very recent. On the 8th of July 2020, seven-month-old Enzo Kuchle Msani was last seen with her aunt, Tabile Msani, at Cape Town International Airport. Although the details of how the child came to be with her aunt are unknown, the mother reported that her child was supposed to be returned to her on the 11th of July. When this did not happen, and after attempts to reach her sister failed, she contacted the police and opened a missing persons case. An Amber Alert was issued for the child on the 16th of July. This is a relatively new course of action for the SAPS, and predominantly involves social media and a few other channels including the press. Sadly, the report does not detail whether the aunt was thought to be flying anywhere else in the country, with child, so essentially eyes should be kept peeled everywhere. There is one media report about Enzo Kuchle's disappearance, but no further information after the Amber Alert was issued. Enzo Kuchle is a female child of seven months old. She has black hair and brown eyes and weighs approximately six kilograms. The second case on the list is sadly also a child. Fourteen-year-old Choice Shumbamini was kidnapped on the 9th of July 2020 from a church in Shikwane village, Limpopo. The term kidnapping is used on the SAPS report, and they do not use that term lightly so they clearly have reason to believe that she was forcefully taken. There are no media reports about Choice's kidnapping. Choice is a 14-year-old girl, and according to the police report she is 1.5 metres tall and weighs around 40 kilograms. Her build is described as tall and slim. The third missing persons case is an adult and quite a bit older than the first two. Peter Andries Oosteisen disappeared from his home in Wurster on the 3rd of May 2013. He was never seen again. The information on the database listing is very sparse, but there is a photograph of him. He appears to be in his late 50s or early 60s and wears glasses. His hair is dark brown and partially grey. There are no media reports about his disappearance. Another recent case is that of Ngvela Tandulwetu of Langa in the Western Cape. Nguayvela is listed as an adult, but I tend to think he's a very young adult because the photograph of him is in his school uniform. On the 3rd of January this year, the young man wrote a letter to his grandmother, telling her that he loves her, but he's going to live on the streets, and that she will never see him again. His grandmother reported him missing in June this year, after he didn't return home. This one, of course, is a bit different, because it appears that the young man has disappeared of his own accord. That doesn't mean we shouldn't care about his whereabouts, though, because there are many reasons that he could still need help. In my opinion, the fact that he has not returned home, even after the pandemic and ensuing lockdown, is concerning. Adults are allowed to choose to live wherever they please, of course, but Nguivela's grandmother would just like to know that he's safe. Yet another case of a missing child, and she appears to be about 14 or 15 years old, was reported on the 1st of September 2019. Christina Zanele disappeared from Ekageng in the northwest. There is no information about the circumstances of her disappearance, but as at June this year, she was still missing. Christina has black hair and brown eyes, and her build is described as tall and slim. April Malose Fasha is an adult male who left his home in Morimole on the 30th of November 2011 and has not been seen since. He weighs approximately 70 kilograms, is 1.6 meters tall, has black hair and brown eyes. One of the things I noticed about many of these cases is that so many of the photographs are really bad or clearly very old. I know it's not nice to think about but please make sure that your direct family members have clear, unobstructed recent photographs of you. It's just something practical that we can do to protect ourselves should the unfortunate need ever arise. Guguletu and Lala is a very young adult female. There is no age on her entry, but I would put her at about 18 or 19. She was last seen on the 13th of March this year. She left home in Krugersdorp for school and never returned. She has dark brown eyes, and when she was last seen, her hair was dyed blonde. She is described as having an average build. There are no media reports about Guguletsu's disappearance. Johannes Mahlangu disappeared from his home in Belfast, Mpumalanga on the 20th of May this year, and has not been seen since. Johannes is listed as an adult, and from his photograph, I would put him in his late 60s or early 70s. He weighs 75 kilograms, is 1.72 meters tall and has brown eyes and black hair which is likely graying as in the photograph his facial hair is already quite gray William Teifol was last seen when he went to withdraw money in Shoshanguve he never returned this was on the 27th of May 2020 the photograph on the entry for William Is one of the worst I've seen. It is completely overexposed and you can barely make out what he looks like. I actually think it may be a still from CCTV. William's build is described as muscular. 30 year old Devon Johnson left his home in Ennerdale, Johannesburg on the 28th of February 2020. He did not tell anyone where he was going and he was wearing green trousers, a blue and red jacket, and white sports shoes. He was carrying a black backpack. He is described as having a slender build. Again, the photograph supplied definitely does not look recent. In fact, it looks like it was taken about 10 years ago. So those are just 10 of the hundreds, if not thousands, of cases that are listed on this database. I did come across one case where the person had been found safe, but the entry was still on the database. But honestly, I'd rather it still be there than not be there at all. Going through this list is actually quite horrifying, because it really underlines the significant problem that we have with missing people in this country. So what can we practically do to help? In my opinion, start at home. I'm not saying that you should terrify yourself with thoughts of your loved one going missing, but there's nothing wrong with being prepared. Photographs are a great place to start, and you should have recent photos of all of the people in your immediate family. Being mindful about your family member's whereabouts and what they're wearing Is also really helpful. If you're able, make an agreement with your family members to have everyone put tracking apps on their cell phones. If your loved one has a vehicle, make sure you know whether it has a tracking device in it and make sure you know what the registration number of the vehicle is. If they have a cell phone account, be sure that you can access at least one of their statements, as this can help to speed up things if the police need to track a cell phone. Make sure you have the cell phone numbers of each of their closest friends and colleagues. There is no waiting period to report a missing person in South Africa. The idea that we might not know the whereabouts of someone we care about is terrifying, but there are steps that you can take to ensure that you're prepared if that horrific eventuality does happen. Swift action may just mean the difference between life and death. I strongly recommend that you have a look at this database that's been built. You can filter the cases by jurisdiction, so if you just want to look at cases in your area, you can do so. I will continue to occasionally cover more of the cases that appear in this database, And if you think that you have information about any of the cases I've discussed today, please contact your closest police station. Each missing person case is also listed with the name and cell phone number of the investigating officer, so you have access to that information as well. Before I go, it's book review time. This one is a crime fiction title called The Broken Ones by Wren Richards and it speaks to a ton of themes that I know you're all interested in. We all love reading true crime books, but have you ever thought about the person behind the book? Have you ever wondered what got the author interested in writing about true crime in the first place? The main character in this book is called Nell Way. She is a best-selling true crime author who's just finished a book about a mother who killed her children and is about to start interviewing the subject of her next book, a woman who's believed to have killed her twin sister. Nell seems to be at the pinnacle of her career. She's flying high, and anyone looking from the outside in would believe she has everything together. There's a reason that Nell became interested in true crime, though, and it's very close to home. Nell is actually not Nell. Her real name is Penelope. But only two people in the world know that, and the reason she's living under an assumed name is that she was once a mother, and she isn't one anymore. This book is expertly woven by Wren Richards, and considering it's a debut novel, I cannot wait for more from this author. The reader is given just enough information to get hooked, and then very slowly, the truth is revealed. The ending had me comparing narratives in this book to cases like Casey Anthony, and the history of true crime authors like Anne Rule, who's had her own personal experiences with violent crime. I highly recommend this book, and it's available through Loot, Take-A-Lot and all good bookstores. And that is our Spotlight Minisode for the week. If you enjoyed this Minisode, please be sure to subscribe to the show on the app that you're using to listen right now. You can also follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. I'll be back next week Friday with a full case episode. Until then, thank you for your support and I'll chat to you soon.